In the next 20 years, some 127 million young people will enter the labor market in the Middle East and North Africa. That's an astonishing opportunity and also a risk for policymakers and the private sector around the region. Can they meet this urgent issue? You're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the National in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. If you like this show, please do subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your audio content. With me is Kelsey Warner, the National's Future Editor. Hi, Kelsey. Hi, Mustafa. I'm glad we're talking about this topic today. I, I think, I mean, as you mentioned at the top, it's an issue that will affect millions. And yet this region, despite having sort of vast political, economic and social differences across nations, the one plight we have all shared for the last 25 years is the highest youth unemployment rate uh, in the world. And the demographics being what they are, the problem is only set to get bigger. You add in the element of automation and a changing labor market, and it is a recipe for major opportunity. So McKinsey, the consultants, they produced a report on this on this topic. Uh, they look into the, the various strategies uh, that are needed uh, to, to meet, I guess, the demand for jobs, but also to create the kind of environment across economies and labor markets uh, that will provide for this new generation amid technological shifts and societal shifts for what they need for you know productive and happy lives. Um, we spoke to Tom Isherwood, a senior partner at McKinsey, earlier about the topic. Let's listen to that now. Tom, thank you for being with us today. Happy to be here. So McKinsey's produced a report about this, in a way, the, the kind of holy grail for policymakers in this region, which is enough job creation to meet you know, rising population um, to meet demand, to give them the choice, the chance of, of dignity and, and hope for their lives here and to avoid you know, brain drain and all the associated problems that come with, uh, with economies that are unable to, to provide those opportunities at the significant rate. So you produce that report and there are a kind of five strategies, right? Um, looking at this, at this issue, maybe you want to sort of run us through from a top level what McKinsey's thinking is on this. Yeah. Look, when, when we um, started writing this report, what we set out to do was to figure out what, what are the big things that need to happen um, to provide opportunities in this region uh, for all of the youth in this region that are uh, present today and also uh, you know, entering the labor market over the next 20 years. Um, this is still a very young region. You've got almost 16% of, 60% of the population at the age of 30 um, about 130 million more youth will be entering the workforce over the coming couple of decades. And so we were trying to answer exactly that. What, what would it take to be able to turn this challenge into a real uh, opportunity or a real benefit for the region? Um, and the, the way we looked at it, there's a, a number of things that need to happen. Um, and first, I mean, it goes without saying that there are a number of very foundational things that have been spoken about, I, I think, pretty much in every report you read about the region, whether it's about um, just fixing the basics in the education system, uh, or some of the basic kind of regulation around starting a business. Um, but what we want to do is go beyond that and actually say, what are the uh, the bigger game changers that they that could be considered? Um, and when we thought about this, we thought about them in, let's say, in three, three pieces. There's things that need to happen to create job opportunities. There's things that need to happen to um, enable the youth to be able to take those job opportunities and productively contribute to the economy and um, in, in a way that is competitive with the rest of the world. Um, and thirdly, there's some things that are just needed to kind of 
uh, create the right environment for both of those first two things to happen. And just to, to make this more precise, that that's all that's all a bit, uh, you know, a little bit uh, uh, kind of vague. Let me make it more precise. Um, when we think about what does it take to create the jobs, um, there are a couple of big things here. First, it's about really uh, developing homegrown champions, um, firms in this region, from this region, that can compete on a global stage. Um, and when we look at that, uh, there, there is a real opportunity here. This is a market that if you take this region together, is more than $3 trillion. Um, there ought to be 30 or, or more real kind of global top-level firms that create significant jobs and then ecosystems around each of them that create even more jobs. That's not happening today for a bunch of reasons. Um, you also have opportunities when it comes to entrepreneurship. This region uh, can create more new businesses than it is today. Um, certainly have a very entrepreneurial population, but that's not translating today into the number of new businesses that you, you would expect to see if you look at other regions and what's possible. That's, that's another place where that comes from. On the, on the flip side, you know, what does it take to actually make sure that youth are ready to take those jobs and, and be um, you know, competitive with the rest of the world? There's a, a lot to do around talent. And, and we think in particular, there's real game changers. If you think about it in the first, let's say, 1,000 or 2,000 days of life, so early childhood, um, and in the last, let's say, 40 years of people's career when it comes to retraining and pivoting as, as the job market around you changes. So we talk a bit about what can be done there. Um, and, and we think a, a huge unlock in this region um, is around uh, in boosting workplace gender diversity. Um, a lot has been done in this space over the last you know, few years. So, so we're, not, we're not blind to that. Um, but there's a huge opportunity to do even more, and that can unlock um, a, a significant uh, you know, amount of talent for the economies in this region. Um, and then and finally, and, and I realize I've gone on a bit long, but the, you know, there's also um, you know, underlying all of this is getting in place uh, you know, more effective government. And we have a couple of ideas around creating transparency there that can be real unlocks that don't cost a lot of money. Um, and, and finally, as, as I think we've all learned over the last couple of years, um, making sure that our health systems are robust enough to be able to manage um, not only the pandemics, but also the, the challenges that will come from a, a, a slowly aging population um, is also important to make sure that, um, that all of this can happen. There are also big conflicts and big politics and all of this, um, and we don't have a silver bullet for that. Um, but, but we do think that th those things do change over time. And these are the big game changers that we write about that would be able to create the right opportunities um, you know, when, when the right political conditions are in place in various countries. Tom, thank you for that overview. I want to take it back to this idea of big homegrown companies, the, the oft-mentioned Souks, Aramex, Kareem's of the world. But you said, you know, taking the region together, this represents a massive opportunity. But so often these homegrown companies operate, you know, within nations, not necessarily within the region. Uh, and interestingly, I think McKinsey put forward this idea that the Middle East and North Africa need to operate more wholly, more holistically. Can you talk a bit more about what that would mean, what that might look like, and how it could unlock greater potential in this area? Absolutely. Um, so we, um, we've done quite a bit of research globally on what does it actually take to, um, to have a superstar firm, you know, a company that really... Um, uh, delivers a tremendous amount of value for shareholders, creates a lot of jobs, creates whole ecosystems and industries around it. Um, and, and we did this by studying essentially the 6,000 largest firms globally, um, taking the 10% of them that, that create 80% of the value and understanding what, they, what it takes, like how they tick. Um, and when you boil it down, one of the core requirements here is that they all need big markets to, to grow in. 
Um, and, and when you look at the individual countries in the, in the MIAP region, it, you, you mostly don't have that. You, you have that for energy companies to some extent because they, they play in a global market naturally. But beyond that, you just, you just don't have this. Um, and, uh, but if you take the region together, um, immediately you have this in almost 40 different subsectors. And you could imagine um, growing uh, not just the tech players like the, the Souks and the Kareems and, and maybe soon the Katopis and the Swivels. You know, it, it doesn't only have to be them, but in many other sectors, you can grow globally competitive firms um, uh, if you're able to take advantage of this market size. But this takes some change. This takes more, uh, uh, let's say, openness between countries in terms of ease of uh, uh, opening offices or branches in different countries, in terms of ease of transferring capital across countries, in terms of ease of um, talent moving across countries. Um, and, and I recognize that all of these things have political components, but a lot of this is also just uh, getting the nuts and bolts right in terms of uh, standards so that you don't have to recertify anything you want, any service you want to provide or any good you want to sell from country to country. Um, th these are things that absolutely can be done and have been done to some extent in other regions. Uh, Tom, you, you touched upon the, you know, the, I guess the, the ever present uh, problem in the Middle East and North Africa, which is, you know, conflict, uh, social upheaval. We've seen in particular in the last decade, what a lack of opportunity for young people can result in, in terms of instability and a lack of progress. But also on the flip side, it's shown us that there is a very vibrant, talented um, base from which to work with. And there, if, if we give um, young people the tools between now and 2040, when it's estimated 127 million young people will enter the labor force, and we're able to focus on you know, these key strategies, then it could really be an exciting time. Yet, as you, as you point out, there's not much we can do about the political and other challenges. We look at Afghanistan this week. We, we look at you know, the Taliban taking over there and you're not immediately struck by their priorities being job creation. And if you apply that across the region, a lot of governments, again, will be tied up with other things. Of course, in the Gulf, they do have that priority. They focused on that. Other countries as well in the Middle East and North Africa have said it's a priority. But there's a lot to do. How do you get governments? I'm not talking about the Taliban here. I'm talking about you know the 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 the, the genuine governments that are focused on improving society. How do you get them to focus on these priorities when there are so many short-term bumps in the way? That's a, look, it's a great question. I think I think you could you could say you know when you look around this region, how, how can you be optimistic at all? Right. I mean, when you look at what's happening in Afghanistan, which which is, is actually outside of what we covered in the region, but but certainly these headlines are, are you know, I think all of us are thinking about them a lot these days. Um, or some of the challenges that you know Lebanon has faced, or or obviously the conflicts in in Libya, Yemen. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to be pessimistic if you look around. Um, but the way we look at it, there are also um, you know, big reasons to be optimistic um, and, and big rewards for the governments that focus on some of the opportunities that we, that we lay out. Um, you know, we're optimistic, frankly, first of all, um, because of the, this generation of youth themselves. I mean, if you look at uh, the, the, their characteristics, this is uh, youth in this region are actually more entrepreneurially inclined um, than youth globally. And there's various surveys that have shown this. You get almost 75% of youth look at entrepreneurship in a very positive way in this region. 
Um, but that doesn't translate into more startups yet because of a bunch of barriers that hit them along the way. Um, for the governments that can that actually focus on removing these barriers. And by the way, I also like to say it's not just governments. I mean, there's there's also uh, things that need to change in, in society too. And that, that comes down to every individual and family and how we talk about what kinds of jobs we want for our kids and, and, and all of these things. I mean, this is a broader change than just governments can do by themselves. But when we do think about the the, the, the benefits that will come to the societies and the governments that, that invest in these areas, um, I, I think that you know, there's, there's a real opportunity here. Um, and, and I guess the last thing I would just say on this is, is that you know, we, we also see real signs of progress in some of these areas. Um, and some of that is, is, I think, the startups that we've already started to, to mention. And, and obviously, it's not just the ones that grab the headlines, but you know, there's more than a billion dollars that's gone into venture capital in this region last year. Um, this is still far short of what it needs to be, but um, but I think I think there's real cause for optimism when you look at what's happening uh, in in the startup scene. Um, I, I think even in areas like uh, a gender balance in the workforce, um, this region has been the fastest improving region in that space. Um, and this is not just about Saudi and women driving and all of the most the very uh, visible changes that have happened there. Um, but almost every country in this region, including Jordan, UAE, Bahrain, Kuwait. Um, have have implemented significant changes um, in their legal codes um, that have that are starting to make a real difference uh, in in this in this across the board. Um, and so, I, I guess I guess to come back to your initial <laughs> point, um, there's there's a lot of challenges and there are a lot of you know, reasons uh, for for anxiety in this region. Um, but when we look around, we also see significant opportunities and, and real movement on a lot of the priorities we lay out. I want to talk a bit more about entrepreneurship and. This idea of fear of failure. I mean, you just said, you know, there's reason to have a lot of anxiety in this region. But uh, how, in the report, you do lay out a few examples of ways that governments could instill a bit more confidence in an entrepreneurship generation. Can you talk a bit more about that? It is a really important topic. Um, and fear of failure is one of the many things that, that stands in the way of, of a, a very entrepreneurial um, generation of youth translating that into the kinds of new businesses that we that we think are possible. Um, and so a, a few things come to mind here. I mean, one, one is just about, uh, you know, what can be done on, on all of the enablers. There's, in, in some countries, still not the kind of protections that you would want for um, for failed businesses when it comes to bankruptcy laws or when it comes to, uh, to things like this. You can also argue, frankly, on the other side for success as well when it comes to kind of the, uh, the legal frameworks for IPOs. These are also in various states across the region. Um, but it goes to it goes to more than that as well. Um, you also have uh, many people who would naturally be entrepreneurs in this region are people who are currently in jobs, many of them employed in in one of the governments. Um, and so when they think about the prospect of leaving their job, which is which is stable, which is is you know, well known, um, where they have social networks, um, and think about leaving that for something that is that is the exact opposite, extremely risky. Um, uh, you know, th- that, that's a daunting prospect. One way we've seen countries do this around the world that's interesting is, is allowing, um, and some of the Nordics have experimented with this, is, is allowing, um, in particular, government employees to take uh, leave where their job is still guaranteed they can still come back to their job, but they have a leave to go start a new business, um, which, which in a way removes that, um, that risk element. I think something like this would actually be really interesting in this region, um, especially as the governments themselves are, are starting to reinvent themselves and um, digitizing more and more of what they're doing. 
I, I think there's a real opportunity here to to give people a chance to explore their entrepreneurial uh, uh, kind of ideas without without that that risk of abandoning the career path they're on entirely. It's a very interesting point you raise there, Tom, because. You know, I wonder what is it that, that young people want? What do they want now? What are they going to want over the next um, few years? And, and you, you know, you mentioned technology in the report and, uh, you know, the technological winds blow both ways. On the one hand, um, automation, other trends are, are reducing jobs, traditional jobs, and then new technology like AI will bring in new fields and new roles. But what do, what do young people want? Do they want a stable income? Is that all they, they're after? Or are they looking for something that, is more creative and 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 maybe gives them more of a, a an emotional reward day to day, but isn't perhaps as as much of a financial consideration. And then other other trends that they're you know they're trialing elsewhere in the world, things like universal basic income or whatever label you want to give to it. You know, is is it about giving finding ways to give young people the dignity and the room to explore what they want to do, or is it simply Let's give them an income based on, you know, a reliable, stable job or the chance to start their own business. I mean, do do we have any idea of what of what they want? This this generation of youth that we're talking about isn't um, isn't monolithic. You know, they they, have, they don't they don't all want the same thing. They're they're all quite different. But but what I would just say is the observation that I have from interacting with youth as part of writing this report, um, testing some of the ideas, but also um, through the uh, the Kimon Fellowship, uh, which which we uh, which we run. In Saudi, for for many um, high achieving university students, these are these are um, youth who are extremely passionate about uh, changing the world in different ways. And for some of them, that means um, uh, being a doctor or being a professional in, in, in a very carved out career path that has existed for a long time. For some of them, that means building something entirely new, um, whether it's in a, te- a tech startup or something in social media. Um, and for some of them, that's about still about joining the government. Um, but with a bit of a different flavor, um, it's not about joining the government just to get a, a good desk job and a, and a, and a you know, uh, a kind of a, a respectable position. Um, but it's about joining the government because the governments, especially in the Gulf, um, are really starting to be some of the agents of transforming these societies. Um, and so uh, I, I don't think this is a generation that is going to be content for just sitting and collecting a UBI. I think this is a generation that wants to find a way to contribute and wants to find a way to actually um, change the world around them. Tom Isherwood, senior partner at McKinsey. Thanks so much for being with us and talking about this uh, very critical subject. Thanks a lot for having me. Okay, that's it for today. Kelsey Warner, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. All that remains to thank our production team, Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan. Do join us again next time.